Welcome to It Takes a Village, a Gaggle podcast. Listen in today as we dive into education topics and speak with an industry leader. We're excited to share with you a conversation with an inspiring, empowering, and innovative superintendent from Texas. So today we are joined by Bill McCullough, who is Gaggle's Vice President of Sales, along with Dr. Quinton Shepard. Quinton Shepard is the superintendent of Victoria Independent School District in Texas. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to my colleague, Bill, to get us started. So over to you, Bill. Thank you, Paget. It is my pleasure today to serve as host for It Takes a Village podcast. I am so looking forward to the conversation today with Dr. Quinton Shepard, superintendent of Victoria ISD. While this is my first time interviewing Dr. Shepard, Quentin and I have been friends for several years now, and uh, often I call him Q, and I leave conversations with him always energized and empowered as a leader, and, and I always leave smarter than when I walked into the conversation. So I know you all will be as excited to hear from him as I am. Q, welcome to the podcast. First question I have for you, if you could set the stage and tell us about your leadership journey. Sure, sure, I'm happy to do that, Bill. And, and I have to tell you, thank you for that uh, warm welcome. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate your friendship. So my leadership journey, uh, start, I started as an elementary principal and, and I, was, I was hired when I was 25 years old. I, I taught for a very short time um, before I had my first opportunity to, to be a principal. And, uh, and I had the best experience a person could ever hope for. The, the person who had been the elementary principal in that school had moved over to the high school, literally across the street. And so he was my mentor. And he had been the elementary principal for you know two decades or more. And uh, about halfway through the year, he was struggling a little bit. He was really destined to be an elementary guy. I had taught music pre-K through 12. So I was comfortable with high school students. And we began talking about switching roles. So at 26, I found myself as the high school principal in, in that same district. And what a wonderful experience to get about halfway through the year. And I'm called into the uh, superintendent's office and the board president was sitting there with the superintendent. And they shared with me that the superintendent would be moving on. And the board president asked if I would uh, be willing to consider uh, taking the superintendency, which I thought was monumentally crazy. I, I was just, I didn't think that I was ready for that that job. They eventually talked me into it and uh, I served as superintendent for five years. And uh, from there was recruited uh, to Chicago, just outside of Chicago, the first suburb you drive into if you leave the city, heading northwest. That was uh, Skokie. And I spent about five years there as well. And then from there, I was recruited to Iowa, one of the highest performing districts in the state of Iowa, Linmar, and served some time there. And, and then I get a call from a headhunter one day and he said, listen, I know how much you love school boards. I know how much you love you know, communities that, that want to put in the work and do amazing things. He said, I think you need to come down to Victoria, Texas and meet these folks. And, and I did. And it was an instant love affair. Uh, we were just coming off of the ravages of Hurricane Harvey and there was a failed bond campaign. And it was a community that was that was screaming to be heard and wanted to do some really cool things. And, and I said, I'm, I'm all in on this. So we picked up, moved halfway across the country and, and, and I'm absolutely loving it. This is now three years in uh, Victoria. So for those of you, you, you can't see him, you can hear him. I will tell you, if you ever meet Q, you will wonder how the heck he looks so young despite having this long career in education. He's doing something right. 
Hugh, what are you most proud of in the three years that you've been at Victoria about the community and what they've been able to accomplish there? Uh, what am I most proud of? I have this I have this firmly held belief that the way that we used to do public uh, public leadership, and this is not just schools. I'm talking government, I'm talking schools, you name it, anything in the public sphere. I have this firmly held belief, and, and I've believed this for about five, six, seven years, that, that most of us are doing it wrong. And I was taught to do it wrong. I was taught that you have to be the expert and you are the expert. And so then you do some stuff. Superintendent goes out and learns some stuff, shares it with the Rotary, shares it with, you know, Kiwanis and, and what have you. Um, but it just didn't feel right. The, the best way I can describe it to people who aspire to be a superintendent, I teach superintendent courses. I, I said, I say to them, it, it was like a suit that just didn't fit right. Like, I, I just didn't feel like I was doing it the right way because the public is really, really smart. And for me to presume that I have all the smarts, it somehow is, is, is like I'm telling them that they have to subordinate themselves to my will. I have a privileged view of reality, which is totally absurd. I'm, I'm, I'm a normal person, just like everybody else. And so what, what it was for me was recognizing that complex is different than complicated. Complicated is the way we were taught to do leadership. Complex is inherently unknowable. I say all of that so that I can say this. I think the most profound impact that we've had in Victoria ISD is that we don't, we don't even think about things like engagement or buy-in. We talk about ownership. And when you can get your community to take ownership for the strategic plan, when you can get the community to take ownership for the student learning and student achievement, when you can get the community to take ownership for social emotional learning, well then, then it's totally different. Then it's a different game. It's a totally different game. And success is so much different because it's it's a community-wide effort. The, the way I try to explain it at home, my wife appreciates it when I say it this way. She's like, how can you be so effective at schools and maybe not so effective at home when I ask you to take out the trash? And I say, look, I'm a whole lot more successful when I have 80,000 people helping me with my goals. Like I could get a lot done. <laughs> Well, I hope people take away from that. When I speak with other leaders throughout the country, I often hear that community engagement is lacking. And it's amazing how if you empower your community to go and be part of the solution, you find that engagement is there. Yeah, Bill, you've hit on something that we're now seeing nationwide, and we're, and we're actually seeing it manifest in a pretty negative way in a lot of schools. We're reading that around the country, somewhere between 15 to 20% of kids have left public education, have left the school, they've disappeared, however, however you want to see it. But you see it in New York, you see it in Florida, you see it here in Texas, you see it in California, you see it everywhere in the country. And so you have to ask yourself, well, where have they gone and why did they leave? And I think a big part of it is exactly what we were just talking about. The superintendent and superintendent team locks themselves in a room together and comes up with a return to learn plan, right? And then they come out to the community and they say, we want you to buy into this. We want you to engage with this plan because we think it's the best plan for our kids and our teachers and our community. And the community is like, what, what makes you think that you're any smarter than anybody else? I can log on to the internet. I can find somebody in a different part of the country who's probably doing a better job, right? And that's exactly it. They're right. And so my, my contention is, we have to put the public back in public education. And the way that you do that is you invite the public into the complex conversations. 
And complex is really easy to understand. Complex is anything that's inherently unknowable. What is the best way for students to come back to school and learn after a pandemic? It's inherently unknowable. There is no one right answer. And if there is no one right answer, it's complex. And so how do you, how do you manage that? You take that conversation to your community and your community is not just your community of parents, it's your community of teachers. And you ask them that same question. And then you go to your kids, which we did. We had two, three, 400 kids help us write our return to learn plan when the pandemic was still raging in this, in this past summer. Uh, we had 800 teachers help us write our plan. Um, this, is, this is that ownership piece. And, and then, you know, when you keep the public at the forefront of public education, um, it thinks, things tend to move. Well, I'm hopeful that other leaders are going to be listening to this podcast. So help me help them. Uh, I know your passion for the success of your students is unwavering. How do you approach your role as a superintendent to create the greatest impact for your children? It was the suit that didn't fit for me early in my career. I was focused on success because I was told that's what we we're supposed to focus on, student achievement scores, uh, attendance, those types of things, anything, basically. You look at report card grades, you look at school report card grades. And so I was working really hard at that. And I've since gone back and apologized to a lot of the principals that I worked with early on in my career because I was just doing what I thought we were supposed to be doing. And then, you know, life gets in the way and life teaches you some lessons and you realize that, I, that you're not really here for success, you're here for significance. That's why I got into education in the first place. I wanted to be significant in the lives of kids. I wanted to be significant in the lives of teachers. Uh, and as superintendent, I want to be significant in the lives of as many community members as possible as well. And so I started to just ease my way into significance. Like how can I find ways to be significant? How can I find ways to connect with people more deeply, uh, embrace the emotional needs sometimes of staff and, and, and everything else. And then I, I realized a funny thing sort of happened. The success started taking care of itself. I didn't have to think about that so much. Um, and, and I wish more leaders had the vulnerability to realize that you can put down the success part, focus on significance, uh, and you're gonna have a whole lot more fun and, and more impact. And I think it's as easy as this. It's, I'm a huge fan of language and how we use turn of phrases to, to make an impact. And, and it's this simple. In three years here in Victoria ISD, I have not said to a single one of my cabinet members or a principal or my board of education, I've never said what I want from them. I've never said I want this from you. I just don't say it because it somehow presumes that they don't want to do the best work of their life. And how demeaning is that? Like everybody wants to do the best work of their life. Well, they don't need a superintendent telling them what they want from them, right? But if I don't ever tell people what I want from them and focus 100% of my time, effort, and energy on what I want for them, that's what makes the difference. I want for them to feel empowered. I want for them to feel like they're doing the best work of their life. I want for them to feel like they have collegial relationships here in the, in the office and that those, those go beyond the workday, that, that sort of thing, autonomy, like all these things that we want for other people. If I focus 100% of my effort on that, what, what, what I want from them doesn't matter because it takes care of itself. And see, this is when you challenge me as a leader to be better. So now I have to go and take that language and introduce that to my company so that way I could be a better leader. I love the fact that you always challenge me on this. 
as we talk about language, I had the pleasure of listening to you as a panelist on a webcast called Hope Mattering and Moving Forward. And you were talking about how language shapes the culture and you use an example of one size and I'm not gonna say the end of it because I want you to talk about it. Can you talk about that one size philosophy and how that's helping you at Victoria ISD? Yeah, of course. If I say the if I say the saying, one size fits all. almost everybody is thinking all. One size fits all. Yep. No. One size fits one. In education and in life, one size fits one. It fits one person. And this actually isn't my phrase originally. This is something that one of our principals said back to us at the district office. And we were like, oh, we're totally embracing that because that's exactly what we're trying to live. Uh, as a district. And it's this recognition that, Bill, you have a unique genius that you bring to this world. And I have a unique genius that I bring to this world. And so does Paget, And so does every single student in my district. And so does every single staff member. And so we actually built into our strategic plan. And it wasn't our language. We, we crowdsourced our strategic plan. And somewhere along the line, somebody said, unique genius. Right, that showed up and people gravitated on that. We crowdsourced all of our language and that was one, something that stuck out to a lot of people, unique genius. And we were like, yes, more of that. Like that's who doesn't wanna send their kid to a school where they're actively trying to help that student find their genius, chase their genius, pursue their genius and grow their genius. Yes, we're gonna do that. And then we were like, yes, let's apply it to our staff too. Help our staff find their genius. That's a way to talk to people that's meaningful because every single person has it in them. They have something unique about them that they need to bring into this world. They need to speak it into being. And, uh, and, and, that's, <clears throat> and, that's, and that's this notion of one size fits one. Let's focus on that. Let's find your genius. Well, I can't wait to tell my wife I have a unique genius and Q told me, so I'm gonna <laughs> let her know that. What I, I, we've talked about individualized learning and in schools for years. And, and I think that's just another way of being able to figure out what the unique genius is of a child and pulling that out. What are the obstacles to implementing this? It well, seems I, like it should be logical. Everyone wants to do it. It should be logical. That's exactly right. And it is, it's incredibly hard. I think, I think first of all, the language matters on that. And you're right. It is individualization. Differentiation is what the teacher does. Individualization is what the student does and individualized learning and what have you. But is that enough to light your soul on fire? Like, are you going to, are you going to get up out of bed in the morning and talk about individualized learning and learning plans? And yeah, maybe it's, I don't know though. I'm not sure that that does it for a lot of people, but when I talk about your unique genius, well now, really, you want to know about my unique genius? Yeah, I'll get on the phone call for that. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Right. So I think first is like, let's just use language that, that really lights people up about this. I think the other part is that it's really, really hard. Um, you know, it, it's this recognition that in, in schools, we're, we're just designed a certain way. And there's a ton of technology that can help us move forward. There's no question about it. But the trick is, it's, um, and I think this is an analogy that you and I have actually talked about again, but it bears repeating here. It's like every single kid in my school district is on a different floor of a hotel. 
right? So I've got 14,000 kids in a hotel. There's a dangerous proposition. 14,000 kids in a hotel, all of them on different floors. And at one end of the hotel is this bank of elevators and it's, it's called academic achievement. And on the other end of the hotel is this other bank of elevators and it's called social emotional learning. And the trick is I have to get every kid to go up floors on social emotional learning and on academic achievement. And the truth is you can't be on both elevators at the same time. And the problem is that if I've got a student who's on the eighth floor for social emotional learning and wanting to go up to the ninth floor, and that student has somebody in the same grade who's on the first floor, well, the student that's on the eighth floor, how long are they gonna have to wait for the elevator? A long time. We've all been there at conferences where we know that the wait for elevators is, at is atrocious. That is what gets in the way of individualized learning plans for kids in that we haven't structured classrooms and we haven't um, capitalized on the technology available to allow each kid to get their own personal elevator to climb from floor to floor. Yeah, it sounds like when we do this, you have to spend significant attention on what that, who that child is and what's best for them rather than what you want for them to do, right? So it, it's you, very Andrew. flipped because it is very student centric and it takes time to understand what lights, a, like you said, what lights a fire for a child. And, and thank you for saying that. And, and, and again, something in, in our strategic plan that we talk a lot about, we spend a lot of time in our strategic plan recognizing that there's a difference between student as learner versus student as person. And we actually commit to both. And it takes, it takes a conscientious effort that we're gonna say, these are the skills and attributes that it, that it takes for a student to be successful, student as learner. So that's profile of a graduate type stuff. Student will be able to do this and demonstrate this. But then also student as a person, we're graduating people who are gonna uphold the, the principles of democracy that we value. We're graduating people who are gonna become community citizens and need to be able to support a local government and volunteer and what have you. And so we have a big chunk of our strategic plan around student as person as well, and just being mindful of that. So I heard you using a term the other day uh, called moving forward as opposed mm -hmm. to moving on. Uh, why do you prefer moving forward? Well, moving on is when you think of that phrase, okay, moving on. It's usually after something that's been a fairly negative experience, right? And we're sometimes told to move on from that bad experience. And, and there's, there's a reason for using that language. Like the whole point is forget what happened so that you can move on. I actually think that the pandemic is not something that we want to forget. It's not something that we want to just move on from. I think moving forward and moving forward together, that means that we're going to embrace what happened so that we can use that to move forward. And there's some great lessons that we've learned out of the pandemic. Uh, maybe we didn't knock it out of the park. Maybe it wasn't a total home run, but we learned some really interesting things about how students can learn individually, how they can learn remotely, how they can learn you know, uh, through, through uh, remote learning and, and what have you. And, and, and the, the bigger question, if we could take a step back from moving forward and moving on and talk about this in a semi-philosophical way, it's something that's weighed heavily on my mind since, since past summer and, and really even outside of education. It's happening in education, but we're seeing it in communities that are finding 
that there's that there's that there's strife in the community and we're trying to find a, a new balance point. And the question I continue to ask myself over and over and over again is, is there a place for our past in our future? And I've not heard anyone in the country talk about that, but somehow we have to find a place for our past in our future, as opposed to fighting with our past or forgetting our past or any of those things. I just think if we can place it in our future, we can move forward as opposed to moving on. And the same thing when it occurred to me, I'm like, well, that's the same thing for education. If we can find a place for our past in our future, then what we're saying is what we did before wasn't wrong. It was exactly right. We were doing it exactly the way we thought we should be doing it. It's not like somebody woke up and said, I'm going to do a really bad job of educating kids. No, we were doing the best job we could. So let's put that past in our future. Let's hold a place for that. Let's hold a place for the pandemic and put that past in our future so that we can move forward together. So you can just, talking with you, you just hear the passion that comes through uh, time and time again. Um, what is more important for educators, compassion or competence? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think if you looked at school report cards around the country, you'd say competence. If you looked at <laughs> teacher evaluations, you'd look and say mm, competence. Uh, if you looked at financial profile scores, if you looked at bond defeats and schedules, if you look at virtually any way we talk about public schools in America, it's all about competence. What can kids do? What do teachers do? What do principals do? How well are they doing it? Let's measure it. Let's judge it. Judge it. That's an important word. Let's judge it. It's either good or bad. It's either good or bad. The point is, it's fragile. It's fragile. If you're strong, you might become weak or you might stay strong. If you're weak, you might become strong. You might stay weak or you might become irrelevant. Um, but regardless, if you want to play in that system, you're always, you're always fragile. You will always be fragile. You will just live in that environment. And if you like that, I guess good on you. Keep doing that. I didn't particularly like that. I didn't like that for my leadership. I didn't like that for my schools. I didn't like that for my kids, my teachers, my administrators. I don't like the idea of inviting people to judge us on our competence and being fragile. And so I had to get my mind around like, well, what's the opposite of fragile? Well, the opposite of fragile is obviously anti-fragile, something that's in, that just isn't fragile. Like the confusion of the, the pandemic and the chaos and all the rest of it doesn't impact us. We're not stronger. And so you have to get away from competence because competence is all about judgment. Compassion is anti-fragile. Compassion is about suffering. So when the pandemic first hit, I immediately went to my community and I shared my suffering as a school district superintendent. I don't know what to do in the, in the leadership plan here. We're not prepared for the technology. We don't have the technology. We're not ready for remote instruction. We're not sure how we're gonna feed kids. All these things, all these things that were weighing heavily on me, right? My suffering. And I asked the community, share your suffering with me. And so we crowdsourced that. And for instance, one of the things we heard from our community is, is this notion of the custodial care of kids. We need for you, the school, to look after our kids. We need for you, the school, to feed some of our kids, period. We need that. That is a critical necessity, okay? Let's connect on the suffering. Let's come up with a plan. And again, because we crowdsource this, there's ownership. I've talked about that already. So the community has ownership in helping this plan to be successful. They're going to do everything they can to help me make this successful. And we've connected in our compassion. And then what's the one thing the community is never going to do? They're never going to judge it because they help build it. 
we, we don't when you build something you don't you judge yourself harshly right you're like i did the best i could i put my best foot forward so i could do this really cool thing and so when you build ownership around compassion you're anti-fragile and so then the question is well why wouldn't you do this around everything let's talk about something that's completely unrelated to the pandemic let's talk about rezoning a school district that's that's complex it's inherently unknowable it's scary requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability now you could lock yourself in your office and say i'm going to put together a rezoning plan and i'm going to present it to the community and i'm going to invite them to judge me on my competence in putting together this plan and you're going to get three or four hundred people that shows up at the board meeting and says that you're doing a horrible thing right it'll that's be your last goes. day in the job <laughs> and that's how most superintendents lose their job that's right we did a rezoning of our district not quite half our district we, we did a massive rezoning project before the pandemic hit it's inherently no unknowable so we went to our community we actually my board actually passed a resolution that's how committed they are to this type of leadership that says if it's complex we start with our community if it's complicated that's the work of the superintendent and the staff so anyway we go to our community and we're like this is our suffering some buildings have they're overcrowded some buildings are undercrowded we've had to close and merge some campuses in the last few years we're really struggling and this is our suffer point what's your suffer point like how can we help you connect our suffering so that we can find a plan that works we crowdsourced a bunch of ideas we formed a task force when it came time for the board to vote on the rezoning plan for the district there was one person who showed up to speak and it was mostly uh it was mostly gratitude for the process that's how you know you're doing it right. If you can be anti-fragile, if you can commit to anti-fragile, and everybody listening is probably like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, we should do that. The hard, the single hardest thing, the single hardest, um, the biggest obstacle is vulnerability. We all say we want our leaders to be vulnerable, but imagine what it's like for a leader to stand up in front of their community and say, I don't know the answer and I need help solving this problem. It's fantastic. Uh, and people need to go watch uh, Brene Brown and, and learn Absolutely. about vulnerability and, uh, and become better leaders. I I've been guilty of using a term that I know you hate. Um, and, and I apologize in advance for even saying this term. But I was worried about learning gaps with COVID, especially revolving around mathematics and ELA, because they build upon one another. You gave me a much better term, and I want you to describe, tell, tell everyone the term and describe why it's so important to approach it this way. Yeah, thank you. It, 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 uh, thank you for that, Bill. It goes back to my days as a former music teacher. Like the thing is, a kid could come into me at elementary school or middle school or even high school having no music instruction at all. And does that mean that they lost instruction somewhere along the way? Not really. You didn't. You didn't lose anything. I certainly haven't lost any education in my life. I doubt you've lost. I've never actually met anyone who lost an education, but you do have some unfinished learning. Like I don't know how well you play the trombone, Bill, but you probably have some unfinished learning on the trombone. Is that safe to assume? Quite a bit. <laughs> Perfect. So that's kind of my point. It's just unfinished learning. And if you decide that you want to play the world's most sensuous trombone, <laughs> then you have some learning to do. And we could do that together. And I could plug you into resources and you could be really, really successful. 
Well, the same is true for kids. And, 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 and why this word matters so much is it's not just about learning loss. It's what learning loss as a phrase does to us as a country. See, learning loss sets us up in education to become accidental adversaries with parents. And that's not cool at all. It sets us up to be accidental adversaries with politicians who can say, oh, let's judge the competence of the school district and how, how much learning loss has occurred with the students so that we can point the finger and say who's to blame for this problem. And that's, and that's exactly how this will go throughout the country in many states. There'll be people who do that and there'll be people who fall for that. And I just decided years and years ago, I don't want to be accidental adversaries with anyone. So let's use the right language. And if we talk about unfinished learning, well, now let's, let's create a plan for that. Let's talk about how can we address unfinished learning for our students who need it most, specifically those students who are in math uh, courses that, that aren't where they should be on grade level. Let's, let's get them caught up as fast as possible. How would you do it, teachers? Again, it's complex. It's, unknowable. How would you do it, teachers? How would you do it, students? We're actually excited. We're, we're getting ready to crowdsource a couple of questions for our kids and our parents and our teachers. And, and one of the questions I hope we crowdsource, we haven't 100% committed to it, but one of the questions that I hope we crowdsource for our kids is I would love to be able to ask them, like, what's something that you want to learn so badly that you'd be willing to get out of bed four days a week over your summer to come learn? I would just love to know what my kids say because we should be teaching that. We should be teaching that. Such a fantastic question. You absolutely need to do that. And I wouldn't put trombone, but I would have to give it some thought. But that is a fantastic question. Yeah. And if you ask it that way, then you're saying, students, I want you to take ownership in your learning. And my job as superintendent is to provide that learning for you. And that's unfinished learning. Well, we have, we've talked a lot about the, the COVID crisis and, and just all of the strategies going around that, it's, it's been really difficult to be happy and to have hope through this. Uh, I always get happy when I talk with you, it's fantastic. And so I, I love the energy that you bring, but how can educators inject happiness and hope for their kids? Gratitude. Gratitude, in a word, it's gratitude. Um, gratitude, that's, that's the word for it. Uh, it. It's my shortcut. I've said this for years. My shortcut to happiness is just gratitude, gratitude for the moment, gratitude for the experience, gratitude for what we get to do. Um, there's, there's kind of two ways to think about what this last year has been for people there. there it's been a struggle. We all know it's been a struggle, right? Um, so, so let's put two visions in your mind of what that struggle looks like. One vision is, you know, those people mover conveyor belts at the airport that you hop, you, you hop on it and it kind of propels you forward. Sure. And you. Imagine being on that conveyor belt and walking in the wrong direction, just all year long, head down, pulling the roller bag and everybody has a different level of baggage that they're carrying. Is this starting to feel like COVID, right? It, and we're all just, just not making any progress on this conveyor belt and we're hoping to get to the end of it. And what will we accomplished? Really nothing, right? The, a different type of struggle is imagine the, the, the highest peak, the highest mountain, the biggest hike you've ever gone on, right? And it's a struggle. It's a real workout. I'm a pretty healthy, fit guy. I can remember the biggest hike that I've been on and I'm just drenched with sweat and I'm you know, asking for more from a little bit. But here's the thing, got to the summit. And it was also the most beautiful view I've ever experienced in my life. That could be COVID too. That could be COVID too. 
because we've been through this tremendous struggle and we're standing on the peak of this mountain right now. And there's some really cool things. Like how cool has it been to watch teachers connect with students in an emotionally deep way? How cool is it that teachers have been given the freedom to care for kids and put that above achievement? There's some beautiful, beautiful things. And, and, and I'm actually really, really excited. We're recording this. I'm going to give the actual date. We're recording this on Friday the 26th. I am so excited for later this afternoon. And I know I've told you about this too. We're actually celebrating one staff member in a way that I have never done in 17 years as a superintendent. And it's all about moving forward together. We're going to recognize this staff member to this really, really cool thing. And then we're going to do it every month for the next 12 months because we want to embrace this, the experience of COVID and all the great things that have happened and carry that forward into the cultural DNA of our school district. And I think if we, if we practice gratitude, we find happiness. And if I practice gratitude every day, I can help other people find happiness and I can encourage them to do the same thing. Well, I think there's no better way to end this podcast than to be grateful. And I could tell you, Q, I am so grateful for your friendship. I am grateful that you took time out of a busy day to spend with us on this podcast. And the folks at Victoria, they're just so lucky to have your leadership and, and the passion that you have for your students and your community. Uh, I hope that they feel very, very blessed to have you. I look forward to seeing you very, very soon. And thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thank you, Bill. It's, it's truly, truly my pleasure. And, and I, I'm grateful for your friendship. Be well. Take care, sir. Thank you so much, Bill and Dr. Shepard, for your time today. Everything you said, Dr. Shepard, was also positive and actionable. I'm sure our listeners will find this podcast incredibly valuable. You can find the webinar that Bill mentioned called Hope Mattering and Moving Forward by simply visiting gaggle.net's events page. Thank you everyone for listening today and join us for future podcasts from Gaggle's It Takes a Village podcast series. Thank you. Uh, uh.